This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. UFC 238. What a card. And none of the fights were canceled last minute. And we also had Triple G versus Steve Rolls. The combat sports gods blessed us this Saturday. Even the early prelims for the UFC were amazing. From top to bottom, a good card. I think every now and then, if we suffer through enough shit cards, (laughs) we'll be granted a good one. This is how the UFC keeps us hooked. They give you a shitty card in a place that no one cares about. And then eventually, if you stick around long enough, you'll be rewarded. Kind of like Pavlov's training of the dog. So because of the immensity and the overall goodness of the fights this Saturday, we have to break it up. So what we'll be doing is we'll be covering the three main event fights here. Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I. And Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone. And then we'll post Jimmy Rivera versus Peter Yan, Tatiana Suarez versus Nina Ansaroff, Aljamain Sterling versus Pedro Munoz, Ricardo Lamas versus Calvin Cater, Karolina Kovokevich versus Alexa Grasso, and also our thoughts on Triple G versus Steve Rolls, all on the Patreon episode. So please support leftist MMA cultural podcasting by subscribing on patreon.com slash southpawpod. The other guys are making tons of money as it is. They have corporate money and money from fans. So help the underdogs. Also, this was the first time we enjoyed a UFC event while live chatting with our Facebook group, Southpaw's Leftist Combat Club. Shout out to all the new members. It's a place to talk combat away from the stereotypical reactionary reactions. So check us out there also. And as usual, I'll add links to all this, including our social media, all in the show notes. So now to the main event, to crown a new bantamweight champion. Henry Cejudo defeated Marlon Moraes by TKO in round three, becoming, as he calls it, the champ, champ, champ. Olympic champ, flyweight champ, and now bantamweight champ. So let's study this fight. How did this happen? Well, in Cejudo, you have the modern MMA fighter. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but he's one of the next generation of MMA fighters who's adapted his striking, clinching, and wrestling to MMA. And he doesn't take turns switching from any of these phases, but he fights from a position where he can do any of these things at any moment and mix them at will. That's why I say next generation, because previously, fighters could do MMA wrestling and striking, but they took turns doing it. You could almost see it like they were turning a switch in their head. Whereas I think some of the next generation of fighters don't ever switch anything in their minds. They just are full mixing of martial arts all at once. So in Marlon Moraes, you have the bigger Thai boxing BJJ specialist. He's someone who's so good in his two main areas, 
he only needs to be well-rounded everywhere else so he can dominate you where he's strongest. Paul will be covering more of Marias in this fight. Now, Cejudo, early on, began stance switching, and this is something he kept employing unless he felt he had his opponent hurt. But in the first round, it didn't matter. Cejudo was getting beat up. His legs were getting chewed up by Marias' leg kicks, and it didn't matter the stance he was in. He was still getting chopped down. It was worse than against Mighty Mouse. And when Cejudo did get in closer, he was losing in the punching exchanges. So he was fighting from the outside using a karate in and out approach. That's okay for a minute while you're getting a read on your opponent, but it's not good if that's all you can do because you can't close the distance without getting cracked. So it wasn't just that he was doing it for strategic purposes. He was forced to do it by Morias. And if you're the smaller guy, you have to close the distance, especially if you're the better wrestler. But good wrestlers have been made to look bad if they're forced to shoot from too far. And that's what Cejudo ended up doing. It didn't look good. It looked pretty bad for Cejudo. It looked like Marias had him figured out and had all the answers. His team did a good job in game planning. Mark Henry is really known for his game planning. Now, the commentator said Cejudo was in southpaw stance because of his legs. I disagree. And I just mentioned it earlier about how he was stance switching and it didn't matter. Because both legs were getting chewed up equally. And also, he was switching stances to begin with. Why he was switching stances and fighting southpaw is because if you look at his fights, he does really well from the open stance. Many of his best strikes in his fights, he landed when he was fighting someone either in opposite stance or someone who switched to the opposite stance. And in his run to the title and to now, Cejudo has been fighting a lot of southpaws or stance switchers. Since Morias is primarily orthodox, it was Cejudo who decided to stand southpaw to create an open stance fight. From there, he was looking for the open side left straight, except he wasn't finding it. And I mentioned Marias was landing a lot of kicks on him, but Cejudo was throwing kicks as well, but they weren't nearly as hard as Marias's kicks. And whenever Cejudo threw a leg kick, he was getting countered. So going into the corner after round one, with things looking so bleak, how does Cejudo adjust? And that's one of his greatest strengths, his ability to adapt, not only from his losses, but also in between the rounds. And that's part of the reason why he's so good at MMA, because there's also the ability to adjust. You can't just fight the way you trained. Sometimes if the way you trained and prepared isn't right, then you have to make adjustments on the fly. That means you just have to know how to fight every aspect of MMA and then pull from those other areas. And so how Cejudo adjusted was with pressure and more volume. He abandoned the in and out approach. This doesn't only take skill. It also takes courage and composure. Because you just got cracked a bunch of times coming in in the previous round. But composure is what he said was the difference maker in his second fight with Mighty Mouse. And initially, coming in with pressure, Cejudo whiffed on a lot of his big strikes. This can have fighters second guessing if they should keep coming forward because they feel exposed. You whiffed on a punch and now you're open to getting attacked. Should I keep doing this? We saw a bit of that in the Jimmy Rivera versus Peter Yan fight where Rivera felt exposed, so he let his foot off the gas. 
But Cejudo was undeterred. He was going to make it a war of attrition. And also, it's very tiring to be pressured. You don't just get tired from throwing punches. Cardio-wise, and just hitting a bag, as far as striking volume, any UFC fighter can do that all day. They can hit a bag all day. They have that hitting cardio. But the tiredness you get from being pressured is mental. It's mentally fatiguing. It also taxes your nervous system. There's too much to think about. And you're constantly tensing up because you might get hit. That's also very tiring. Because you can't allow yourself to get hit unprepared. And you don't want to get hit by the one you don't see. So you have to see everything. And we talked about this in our episode with Anderson Silva's coach, Dr. Jason Park, about how the nervous system takes longer than your cardio system to recover. So eventually, Cejudo closed in on Marias, and they fought from a punching boxing range. And he had Marias on the back foot. And as I previously mentioned, when he did hurt Marias, he'd stay in orthodox to go for power shots. Cejudo also employed a Vladimir Klitschko type approach of hitting, then closing in into the clinch. Except in MMA, you can keep going. And Cejudo really started hurting Marlon Marias with knees and tiring him out with snapdowns. And eventually, Cejudo snapped Marias down to the ground, looking for a choke. But you can't finish the anaconda unless you're on your side, or mounted. And Cejudo didn't roll all the way through until he was on the other side. And so he tried to adjust and do it again, but that's when Marias got out. But Cejudo stayed on top and maintained control with underhooks, and also by lifting Marias' leg up to stop him from posting or turning in. This was really clever ground control. Then from here, he began to beat up a confused and tired Marlon Marias until the referee had seen enough. So I think it's not what Marias did wrong, but more about the adjustments Henry Cejudo made. What do you think, Paul? When this fight was originally announced for the vacant bantamweight title, a lot of people were actually writing off Henry, saying he's a lot smaller, he can't hang, and when he beat TJ, he fought a depleted version of one. And I can see that argument, especially when the fight started. You saw the size difference between Henry and Marlon. You could clearly tell, oh, okay, there's a reason why Henry was a flyweight. And moving up, just like we talked about with Max Holloway, he didn't put on the weight naturally in order to compete with the other bantamweights because I'm sure in the back of Henry's mind, at some point, he's going to have to go back down to defend the flyweight title. So if he puts on too much bulk, then he's going to have a hard time cutting and he might not be able to do it in the future. And Henry perhaps figured that his MMA skill set, his timing, and his wrestling will be the difference maker against Marlon, and it was. Now, it didn't look like that in the first round. Moriah started the fight with kicks early and often, and it was in the back of Cejudo's mind that, okay, any moment I stay still, even if I'm feigning activity with pinwheeling the hands of trying to reach out there and my in and out movements, if I'm not attacking him, Marlon's going to attack me. And early on, when you saw the speed and power of Marias, that was scary. Every time he hit him, Cejudo's legs flung open like a ballerina on recital night. And one of the things that Marias does very well, especially in this fight, was his 
attacks high and low and finishing with low kicks. It reminded me very much of a vintage Ernesto Hoost that would always throw high punches with volume and speed and finish with a low kick. So you're not sure if you can even attack right away. And Marias covers distance so quickly that even when Cejudo feels like he's at a safe enough distance, he's going to get his leg kicked out from under him and then he's going to have to adjust right away. Now, I spoke about in the preview for our Patreon subscribers how Marias loves to faint with his hips and attack from the same side. And this was something that Cejudo was having trouble with and in round one, he would duck his head low. It gave me some pause because that's exactly how Aljamain Sterling got caught and cleaned out when he fought Marias. And over time, especially in round one, Marias was able to just step hard and quickly and it caused Cejudo to overreact. And one of the things that also made Marias so successful is his ability to absorb the high kicks that Cejudo would throw and return fire. And when he would plant and hit, you can hear it. And Marias did a good job of setting it up to the head, to the body, and finishes off on an angle. And within round one, Suhudo would try to time the low kicks. And being the athlete that he is, especially the cerebral one, he changed that approach in round two. But within the context of round one, he was still doing that. And Suhudo would reach low, and that's not a great idea. Not only would that be a problem, but whenever Cejudo would load up his attack because he felt that, okay, Marias is beating me with speed. I'm going to counter that with power. It just gave Marias more time to duck under and attack right afterwards. And just to make sure that Cejudo has even more to worry about, Marias would just throw in a high kick just to say, oh, this is there too. I didn't want you to think I forgot. And... By the time round one was ending, the low kicks were adding up for Henry. And you could clearly see when Zahuda would walk back to his corner, some of the guys would fall and he would have a slight limp. But when round two started, Zahuda would start hopping back up and saying, nope, I'm fine. Everything's okay. And Sam, you mentioned that when Zahuda decided to enact more forward pressure, and almost channel his inner Kelvin Gastelum or Fedor Emelianenko when he fought Krokop, Marias was no longer able to brawl on his terms. Before, when he had success with combination punching, it was when Marias was the aggressor, he was setting it up and finishing with low kicks. When Marias was being put on his back foot and forced to brawl, he would plant his feet and he would have to think about reacting. And over time, it tired him out. And the way Morias handled forward pressure, unfortunately, reminded me of his former teammate, Edson Barboza, when if you put them on the back foot long enough, their kicks suddenly become a liability because now they have to worry about not being able to pivot and move as quickly. So that all adds up in Cejudo's favor. And Cejudo being the athlete that he is and the finisher that he is, saw an opportunity. And once he realized that Marias was tiring, he decided to take advantage of it. That snap down resulted in a takedown. And once it got to the ground, it was almost academic for Suhudo to finish. Now, 
Some people might say that the fight was stopped with only 16 seconds left and the ref should have just let him continue. But Marias was wilting, unfortunately, and he didn't contest the stoppage either. In fact, Marias said in the post-fight that one of the things that caused him to lose was deviating from the game plan. Him and Mark Henry talked about not brawling, that he's faster, just to throw combinations and don't overload on punches. But when Morais felt that Henry was having success with punches, he might have felt I have to return fire or else I'm going to be the one that's losing. And that ended up costing him the fight. Now, this doesn't take away anything from Morais' ability because I think the Morais that fought Henry Cejudo could have easily beaten any other top baton weight at that night. I think he would be a nightmare matchup for Cody Garbrandt or a Pedro Munoz or even a Dominic Cruz. So I'm interested to see what adjustments Morais makes and comes back with. But all credit and congrats to Henry for joining a very small group of elite fighters who hold two titles simultaneously. Yeah, Morais looked damn near perfect in the first round. So if you kept that going, he could have been champion. But then again, Cejudo made some big adjustments. So that plan wasn't working anymore. Now moving on, let's go to Valentina Bullet Shevchenko versus Jessica Evil Eye, where the bullet won by head kick knockout in round two. So let's study this fight. The two fighters are physically nearly identical. And that's about where the similarities end. Other than that, they're worlds apart. But here's the important thing. Bullet is the southpaw. But I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but at the highest level of MMA, you'll see a lot of open stance matchups because so many of the top flight fighters are either southpaw or can switch to southpaw. And that open stance situation and the openings it creates and the options it seals off is key to understanding this fight. Now, a thing I've noticed about Jessica I in this fight and all her previous fights is she's a very tense fighter. Not as in nervous, I don't know if she's nervous or type A, but I mean her physical body is tense. She shrugs her shoulders, flexes her abs, and comes into fight. She just flexes and goes in, like Vanderlei Silva or Derek Brunson. And in particular, she carries a lot of tension in her shoulders. But in biomechanics, there's a saying, shoulders are enemies of the ears. And what that means is people who in their day-to-day posture, when they shrug their shoulders, tend to push their chin forward and out. So basically, your ears want to run away from your shoulders. Because when you shrug your shoulders and pull your head backwards, it hurts. So you have to push it forward. You won't ever see somebody with shrugged shoulders without a forward head posture. So in Jessica I and these other fighters I mentioned, when they punch, They lift their chins up. It's impossible not to with that much shoulder shrug. And this is why I don't think that idea of shrugging your shoulders when you're striking actually does what you think it does. You think it'll protect your chin when in actuality, it'll just lift up your chin. Now, you can lift one shoulder and shoulder roll because there it'll help. You'll be bladed and your forward head is turned to your shoulder creating a shield. So you're using that forward head to your advantage because you're basically 
shoving it behind your shoulder. You're standing sideways. But in a traditional stance, it doesn't help. Another thing about Ai, she kept walking into body kicks. And that's because of the open stance. Your stomach is exposed when one person is orthodox and the other is southpaw. And every time Bullet landed a body kick, it stiffened Ai even more. Bullet got a read on that, being the veteran, and clinched her when she was stiff and bladed. And if you're standing straight up with your feet on a tightrope, it's easy to trip you over. Also, Bullet was trying to mentally, not break, but frustrate Jessica I, because it was I who wanted to wrestle the Bullet. So Bullet was letting her know, I can beat you here as well. Bullet was taking the pace, which is really important in combat. So like Cejudo, how will Jessica I react? I was getting controlled on the ground. She managed to get back up though, but then got taken down again. And then she was stuck in side mount where Bullet got to a crucifix, started landing punches, then went for a key lock, which she almost finished, but then Jessica I reversed it. And then the round ended. So now it's time for I to make some big adjustments. And then in round two, Bullet again with open side body kicks, stiffening Jessica I up. Jessica I gets really rigid and gets her feet really narrowed again. But instead of clinch and trip like last time, the Bullet goes for the open side head kick. Now, not only were I's feet not ready to take that kick, but her body was too stiff to move out of the way or relax into the strike. Relaxing can sometimes absorb the impact, but wooden boards, they break. Also, Jessica I lowered her hands to catch the body kick, which never came. But even if that kick went to the body, the way she was standing and how her hands were, she would have eaten the body kick anyway. Because you can't block the same when you're in open stance as compared to closed stance, where you can just drop your elbow and catch it on the side of your arms. So it wasn't just that Bullet programmed her and faked her out. It was more that they were on two different levels of fighting. Jessica I didn't seem prepared for Southpaw tricks. Intellectually, she probably knows and could probably tell you what to watch out for when you fight a Southpaw, but her reflexes didn't know how to react to those tricks in real time. And I feel bad for Jessica I because she moved her whole life to Vegas and left her longtime team just to prepare for this fight. But Valentina Shevchenko, the bullet, took zero strikes to the head and body in this fight. Jessica I, in two rounds, only landed two strikes total. And both of them were quick little leg kicks. The bullet attempted two takedowns and got both of them. She had three guard passes and nearly finished the key lock, hit her, kicked her, knocked her out. I mean, you just look at these stats. There's not more to say. So let's move on. Donald Cowboy Cerrone versus Tony Ferguson. So the fight ended with Tony Ferguson defeating Donald Cerrone by TKO Dr. Stoppage at the end of round two. But I saw everything I ever wanted in a fight play out. Now, although I wish there was a bit more grappling for it to be a full MMA affair, the striking display was beautiful. And even though it ended in a way that not many fight fans would have liked to see, how can you deny 
that Ferguson isn't at the top of the lightweight heap. You might be able to say, well, Poirier has a legitimate shot and he should be next in line. But Ferguson is on a 12-fight win streak, hasn't lost after he won the title against Kevin Lee. He never lost it. In fact, he fought Pettis afterwards in a quasi-defense of the unofficial title. So when he calls himself the people's champ, I believe it. He is the people's champ. He frames himself as a blue-collar worker. And you could see it within his fighting style. That if something isn't working, he'll try harder. And if he's hurt, he'll try even harder. And when the fight first played out, both fighters came out in the orthodox sense. But with Ferguson, you never know what to expect. Tony Ferguson is the closest thing MMA fighting has to a real-life Deadpool character. I don't mean just the movie, but in the comic sense where opponents can't adapt to him because he's unpredictable. Even he doesn't know what he'll do next, so they have a hard time planning against him. And when this fight started, working with Joe Schilling has definitely helped Cowboy Cerrone because Cowboy's jab has been much improved. but he was going up against Ferguson's very striking arsenal and his unusual movements. Now, in round one, it was a bit more conventional because I'm sure both fighters were using this almost like a scouting expedition of what can I expect? What have you changed? I've seen this footage and I'm expecting X, Y, Z. Am I going to get that or am I going to see something completely different from you? What changes have you made? And in this fight, Cerrone has much tighter punches and he took full advantage of Ferguson moving his head straight back when he was evading strikes. Now, Cerrone had his best moments when he stayed disciplined and on the attack. When he didn't stray too far from the game plan that Schilling has set up and when his attacks came straight on. Now, Ferguson did a good job of still mixing in different attacks, and his constant stance switching allows him moments of success even when Cowboy was lighting him up. Now, at times, Ferguson reaches in for Cerrone, and it makes him vulnerable. But in the next moment, he'll stop reaching and start throwing kicks. And not just one kick, two kick. He'll blast kicks back and forth like it's some kind of workout. And Cowboys composed jabs and straights are scoring very well throughout the fight. And once he adds in front kicks, you could tell that it momentarily stops the forward movement of Tony. And in a weird way, almost like a Super Saiyan, Ferguson just gets angrier when you hurt him. Most fighters, when attacked and when hurt, They'll think, okay, I'm going to adjust. Okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to reset. But Ferguson will just start attacking you. He goes into berserker mode. And in firefights, Cerrone has looked much improved. Because before, it used to be a strike against him. That when he gets into a brawl, Cerrone can get caught clean. But in this fight, he looked a lot better. Now, when round two started... Cerrone will lunge in, and this is when Ferguson's stiff jabs start hurting him on the way in. 
and they do far more damage than they were originally intended. And because a lot of fighters are used to seeing jabs as prodding or parrying tools, when they come at you very stiff and with power, it throws you off just a bit. And when Ferguson moves forward, it's different because he'll mix in shoulder feints with stance switching, with kicks, and then spinning elbows in a row. And as a fighter, you're trying to process what the next attack is going to be or what you've seen and try to put that in your memory bank. We spoke previously about how Cerrone is a MMA fighter in that version 1.5 mode that he can still adjust and beat you, but he needs that time in between to download your information to try to adjust. But Ferguson never gave him that time to adjust. And it's always fun to see Ferguson try low percentage moves because he'll just continually do them until they're no longer low percentage. People throw spinning elbows once or twice, but Ferguson will keep throwing them until one of them lands and then it's no longer low percentage. He's hit you with it multiple times, so he's clearly just added it as part of his arsenal. And eventually, Ferguson's constant kicks are making Cowboy back up. And even when Cowboy catches him clean, Ferguson just powers up and he starts attacking him even more aggressively. Now, people who've watched the fight saw the punch thrown after the end of the bell. And it was a sucker move. Ferguson should have known better. He's been a veteran. He's been around long enough. But that's not what ended the fight. If anything, let's say, okay, Mergliata takes a point away. And even if Ferguson won that round, they're both at 9-9 apiece. Let's go with that because that's probably what would have happened. It's not as if the ref was going to disqualify Ferguson it still wouldn't have changed the fact that Cerrone made a rookie mistake, blew out his nose, and his eye swelled up. Now, fighters in the past have been able to blow out their sinuses and not have any swelling, so they've been able to get away with it. But a bad habit is still a bad habit, and eventually they catch up with you. The rumor mill is that Dana White wants to run this fight back, which okay, what are you really giving people other than a weird sense of closure for a fight that was clearly going Ferguson's way? And how much longer can you deny Ferguson a shot at the title? At this point, it might make more sense to just tell Ferguson, hey, listen, we already booked Poirier versus Nurmagomedov, so you'll get the winner of that. Just hang tight, don't do anything crazy, and we'll see you in the winner. But I don't know if what they'll actually end up doing with Ferguson. But it was great to see him in action and not get dropped at all in this fight. Yeah, Ferguson has such a variety of attack, like you said, like Deadpool, where he tries a bunch of stuff. But then what happens is he's tried 50 different things and then he figures out, oh, shit, five of these things really work well. And he doesn't know which five will work. So he throws a shitload of stuff out there, figures out the five that works. And then he keeps doing it over and over again. So later in the fight, like in round two, he mixes in variety, but then he keeps going back to the five moves that have been working really well for him because he needs to do the variety to figure out which five those are. And I think it was a lot of the spinning elbows, a lot of the kicking and punching at the same time, and a lot of the front kicks to the stomach and to the body. 
he figured out, shit, this shit is working. Let's keep doing it. So I don't need to see that fight again. It looked like Ferguson was turning this into a Ferguson fight. And also, yeah, how long can you deny Tony Ferguson a title shot? So with that said, this is the end of the main card fight study. If you want to hear the rest, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. So long and goodbye. Goodbye.